I'm trying to remember. I think we've done. We've had two guys in the same room before. That's right. Yeah. They were in the same room, but we've never actually done four separate locations. So, you know, that's just a couple extra variables in there for us. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? This is an episode that we've been building up for a little while here, and we're all super excited about because. Well, today is Thursday, April 29th. When this episode comes out, a movie that we've been building up for a while it will have been unleashed upon the world, and that movie is the pedal movie, nay, the pedal movie. And we are here today, not here, but here in spirit with the writers and directors of that movie, Michael Lux and Daniel Orkin. Welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This is this is us, is GearBuds Podcast, episode 106. I'm Henry. Dave's on the phone. What's up? Hi, Dave. And, and, and this is, I'm just giddy. I'm, I'm Trump. I'm tripping over my words already. We're like a couple minutes in. So it, that, that bodes well for the rest of the episode. <laughs> this is, this is a super special episode for us uh, because we're just going to talk about this amazing movie that I think the entire gear world is excited about uh, that comes out by the time you're listening to this. So if you haven't watched it yet here, I, this is the only time I'm ever going to tell you to do this. Press pause. And then go and then go watch it on yeah. whichever service uh, you deem best for such things, and then and then come back and listen to this. We're not going to spoil things so much, and I really want to avoid any of that kind of talk at all. I, I really am much more interested in getting behind the scenes on things, but um, you know, the, things might slip through. You never know. So just to be safe, just go watch it and then come back and listen to this. How's that? And then sound? watch it again. Actually, after the interview, then <laughs> <laughs> watch it again. I think, and then tell your all your all of your gear nerd friends that already listen to this show to go watch it, and then also wa- check out this episode with us because we're just going to dive in and get into all of the the amazing stuff about this movie i'm obviously if you can't tell i've seen it i've watched it actually a couple times now i'll be honest i know dave <laughs> you've you've taken copious amounts of notes yeah absolutely oh man i feel <laughs> like this is a like an oral exam or something like we should have prepared like that's such a but i do want to shout out real quickly for the people who even if they already left it is available on uh, google play uh, apple slash itunes store and voodoo uh, which is like a platform that might be on your uh, Samsung or Vizio smart TV already. Ah, um, so that I is where you can go about that one. That is where you can go find it. Thank you. And and before we get too much further, let me let me just kind of start by saying, first of all, again, thank you for being here with us. We're super excited about. It. But also, congratulations. I mean, the courage yeah. to undertake such a, a grand project. I mean, this is a, a beyond feature length film, frankly, over over two hours, and and to complete it and to do so with with such a plum. Uh, congratulations to both of you. It's it's fantastic. It you should be you should be very proud of your accomplishment. Thank, thank you. you very much. Yeah, of course. Uh, but um, it, again, comes out Friday, April 30th. This will be out after that. So just go watch it. Um, you're, so I guess we can start there with the platforms. How does how does all I mean, as someone who, uh, you know, has released a lot of music and such in the world, but never released a, a feature length film? How does how does all that work? How did you guys decide on the on the platforms where it comes out? So with distributing with distributing film, it's considerably harder than, you know, chalking up original music on a SoundCloud, for instance, um, sure. if you've ever tried to put something on Spotify and you need like, uh, I don't even know what it is. IS and the CDN, yeah, ISBN, yes, whatever, I, yeah, all whatever. of that kind of stuff like that's, that's still a little more difficult, but right. when you're dealing with documentary, you're dealing with a lot of legal aspects and, um, music rights and f- archival mm-hmm. footage and all kinds of stuff, especially with a film like ours that has. Um, somewhere around, I think, a thousand cues of 
footage and, and photo and that kind mm. of thing. And so really it comes down to, um, I mean, just to be frank, you just have to have good, a good legal counsel, <laughs> good legal team yeah. and a, and a good, uh, and good distribution partners on your, on your side to get it onto the right platforms. Yeah. Sure. And, and so those are obviously, those are sort of, you know, like paid download type platforms is, is that the sort of thing where, you know, eventually you would want it to be, I, I guess, I don't know if anybody ever really wants it to be on a quote unquote free streaming site, but is the plan to ever go on something like that? Or is the plan to sort of stay where you are right now? I, well, I think right, n- right now we're just going to kind of wait our window out. I think, mm-hmm. I think it would be, it you know, it would it would probably be right to say that eventually we'll f- probably find uh, a platform where we can have a, a free run for a for a certain time, et cetera. Um, but I can't I can't like say for certain right now because sure. it just it just came out. But yeah, why would why would you? And plus, I mean, why would you? Everyone's so excited. Go yeah. go buy the damn thing. It's amazing. Yeah, right. It's worth what it. about? And I goes. I guess I guess sort of related. Obviously, we're in this this global pandemic right now, so doing things where people get together is a major challenge, but is there, is there ever, I'm sure there's gotta be some sort of talk or discussion of trying to do some sort of release or in theater experience for it at some point. Oh, we'd that love was too. <laughs> that was definitely part of the original plan. You know, we wanted to kind of do some screenings in some of the big pedal centers, like, you know, your New York's and Portland's. And obviously, you know, we had a vision of renting out the music box or something like that, but, um, cool. yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's, it, it it kind of was a victim of the of the pandemic of course and then sort of looking mm-hmm. forward um you know maybe but like it's certainly i think a lot of those venues there's a lot of kind of pent up prioritization that already exists you know we're not uh necessarily going to get in on that necessarily but you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't rule it out but um i mean what yeah. i what i think would be really cool i'm sure this is what you're thinking also would be to like do some sort of screening or tour of screenings where like we get some of the builders involved or some of the key musicians and it's a little oh, bit more cool. interactive. Absolutely. I mean, that we never really got that far into that process, but that was sort of what we were talking about. Like, you know, maybe at the end of the screening, there's like a Q and a or a panel with, you know, whoever, you know, Fran in Philly or, you know, uh, Ollie in New York or whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. Name one of the multitudes of, you know, celebrities and, and luminary builders and such throughout the film. I mean, there are so, so many cool people that you've got in it and throughout it that it's just, yeah, take your pick throughout the, the globe, really. I, okay. So I, we've already, sp- I don't even know how long we've been going. We're getting so much into the movie. This is a podcast where we do have a couple segments. I kind of want to get into those really fast before we get too much deeper into the movie. So we're going to quickly get into some of these. This is the longest we've ever done this, by the way. So we're going to get into the Symphony of Corrections really fast. Uh, here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you for listening to this again. Uh, you know, you're probably here because of the movie, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, thank you for the everyone else that does join us week in, week out, and we hope you <clears> stick <throat> around. Follow us at Gearbuds Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe, Spotify, Apple, blah, blah, blah. Ooh, this is great. I have an actual correction for the Symphony of Corrections <laughs> that came, it. you saw it, that came from, uh, despite being a, a total semi-pro thing, we do actually have an outline here, so believe it or not, there is some structure here. Uh, there, is a, there is a correction from a previous episode that I learned because, or, or perhaps I was reminded of because of the pedal movie, in yeah. fact, and that was in, when, in a previous Dave's doc where D- Dave, I, believe, I don't remember it what it was It was the Bill Wyman did, documentary. 
it was the Bill Wyman documentary and Chuck Berry was in it. And you were talking about Chuck Berry playing a Les Paul. And I was like, dude, I don't, I just don't think I ever saw Chuck Berry playing a Les Paul. Yeah. And you're like, dude, he did in this thing. In the, and then, and then yeah. I know exactly what video you're talking about, which happens to show up in the pedal movie. And I was yep. like, my friend, that is not a, a Gibson Les Paul, though I not. understand why. Well, that here's is, and, a, and in the a movie, roundup, my friend. Bill Wyman was narrating it. And he says one of his earliest memories of seeing somebody playing guitar was Chuck Berry playing a Les Paul. I quote it because it was that's what yeah. he said in the movie. And I think they were probably like, all right, we're not going to correct Bill Wyman in his own yep. documentary. It's the way he remembered it. Obviously, it's the Gretsch uh, roundup or whatever. So similar to a Les Paul, but yeah, it wasn't not a Gibson Les Paul. So okay. there's a correction for you. There guys. it is. From the <laughs> symphony. And uh, we also have another addition to the, to the symphony this week that actually comes courtesy of Daniel Orkin, participating at the GearBuds podcast Instagram, uh, because last week we were talking about my befuddlement around why uh, every place mm. in the UK has ham in the title, and and Dan quickly jumped in with a whole bunch of knowledge. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with these folks a little bit of what you told us uh, in Instagram. These are just the sorts of things that you will get, by the way, if you go and follow us on Instagram, if you don't already, because oh. uh, you can learn about hams. I'm so Dan, <laughs> what do you got for us? I love a, I love a good ham. So ham is a derivation of the word hamlet, which is a term that mm. comes from medieval England. I assume it's of uh, the linguistically it is probably of Norse origin, but I could be it could be Norman or French. Um, and it, it hamlet just means a small village. So as small towns in the medieval period uh, were, you know, whatever hamlet, eventually that gets shortened to you know uh, Birmingham or you know, mm -hmm. whatever other ham, you know, Wolverham, Waltham. Um, and my wife and I always joke because we, we live in the UK or have been living in the UK the past couple of years that every town in England in the countryside is some combination of the words ham, bridge, and shire. So it's always like, where are we going <laughs> to go for lunch? How about Wilkenham Bridge Shireton? Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> oh, there it is, folks. Now, well, I, it, I, yeah. you know... We got we we've got it we've got it corrected. Uh, I'm glad that I chose not to simply Google this, and I just allowed the world to answer it for me. So thank you, Dan. I oh, I am, it. and I'm sure all of our listeners as well. Michael, in the making of the movie, Michael spent a lot of times in Airbnbs and rental cars with me, and he can testify that if there's ever an opportunity to drop some knowledge about like obscure medieval history types of things, I am the guy to ask because I will I will <laughs> not stop. Hundred <laughs> percent. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Uh, too bad this isn't uh, Archaic Knowledge Buds uh, podcast, but you know we'll see how we do with all the pedal stuff too. Uh, here, we, I mean, you know, I feel like we could do friends of the show, but it's just like uh, they're already here, so that's fine. Yeah. I've got I've got a couple things uh, for bad fucking ideas. One of them is actually a GFI, or maybe I guess it depends on your perspective. But I think it's a GFI, and that I just saw today that they announced that Summer Nam is actually going to be in person this year. Oh wow, which is crazy. Yeah, in July they're actually doing an in-person summer nam in Nashville. So, okay. yeah, that's that's I don't I don't really I was kind of surprised to see that news, but I suppose I, they feel like the vaccination stuff is rolling out here enough that it's not as big of a deal. Although I have to wonder, you know, the rest of the world, the the global builders that would have normally attended, what their mm. sort of status is. But sure. I have no idea. I just saw it today right before that. Uh, that that was happening and also i do have to quickly unfortunately share a bfi because uh, this is this kind of shook a lot of the audio and engineering world recently we have to uh, give a rest in peace out to al schmidt uh, mm -hmm. passed away this past week for those who don't know i mean just you know one of the the luminary engineers of all time 23 grammys recorded and mixed over 150 gold and platinum records tech award hall of fame which 
we attended at the last NAMM show with our former guest, Dave Pensato. I mean, you could go down the list. He's, he's recorded everybody amazing, and it was very sad. Everyone was, was a, a real big bummer. So rest in peace, El Schmidt. All right, that is that. And now we could get back to the good stuff. And this is normally where I get to say my two favorite words every week, but spoiler alert, this whole episode is kind of a Dave's doc, so I yeah. don't get to yell <laughs> Dave's docs uh, right here. Um, and it would, I, I, <laughs> Dave and I were actually kind of joking about this. So uh, for those who don't know already, uh, every week Dave reviews another music documentary, and we were sort of joking about how funny it would be if we still just like tried to review the movie at the makers of the movie on the podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah. here, let us review your movie at you really fast. Ask guys <laughs> yeah yeah i was a little nervous i was like oh I, I hope henry doesn't want me to like review their film while we're interviewing them um which why which by the way i so, have nothing what, bad to say so about it the, it's fantastic yeah 10 uh, out of 10 what is your what is your i, I gave it an arbitrary rating, rating of, of 10, 10 out of 10 germanium transistors for sure <laughs> Perfect. um no but i have to say man it was a, it was a, a fantastic movie we'll get into it if i have to do my little dave's doc thing i just want to say uh it was a great movie from from noobs which i consider myself a little more of a noob than maybe hank um, for, but the geeks will love it too. I think you guys do a great job of balancing, um, introducing it to people who maybe don't know as much, to people who have already had a lot of the knowledge that you guys share with people. So, uh, oh, that's great a great movie. Call, man. I great, agree with that. Great staying power. I think I could watch it again and again. Uh, so, that rating again is 10 out of 10 Germanium Transistors for <laughs> the pedal movie. Fantastic. I, lo- I love oh, this podcast. Beautiful. I am loving yeah, this, this is podcast. This is great. Can we do this every week? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. All right, here is where we're going to turn it back to you guys just a bit more again. And the way that we normally do that every week is through a segment that we call a couple two tree randos. And that's where I ask you a couple two tree rando questions. And I tried to tailor it this week for, for again, to Dave's point earlier, it's, you know, it's a little different uh, with, with two separate guests here. So I'm going to try to do it so that you both can answer these questions. Um, don't think about them too long. They're, they're pretty, you know, pretty cut and dry. So um, here you go. <clears throat> I'll start with you, Michael Lux. What is the first thing you listen to when you hear a song for the first time the first thing i listen to is the vocalist i'm a big that that'll that will do it or not do it wow okay instantly especially if it's like an art an artist that i haven't heard before Mm -hmm. sure um my mom was a fantastic singer i just grew up with a lot of vocalness and i grew up on harmonies and i grew up on that kind of thing so for me it's a it's a vocal it's a vocal yep cut and dry damn what do you got um i would say very broadly the hook you know and i am one of i i believe that a hook of a song while it could be the vocal melody can also be the drum groove like if you're listening to like a deer hoof record the hook is like the drums a lot of the time or you know any number of jazz or funk records from every corner of the world um it could be the chord changes it could be the melody but that's definitely what hits me first i'm a very melody or hook kind of first person, I guess. Love that. Love it too. I remember that reminds me of this book I had to read once called All You Need to Know About the Music Business and and, and them pointing out how, because that, that I the hooked for me for a long time did mean like, yeah, the main vocal chorus or something like sure. that. But they, they point out in this book how it can be this, you know, the 16th note hi-hat pat- pattern from part of a song. I was like, oh, mm. I guess I guess that can be the, the thing that someone hooks on to or what. So totally interesting. Good one. Love it. All right. Here, uh, I'll stick with you, Mr. Orkin. With, okay. Pick one pedal from the movie that, that you don't have already and that you get to have now. And, and which one is that and why? Well, I will, this is kind of a, um, this is kind of a full circle answer. My first pedal ever was a Crybaby Wah, which is like, I think a lot mm-hmm. of kids when they're first starting and they love yep. Jimi Hendrix or whatever, like that's what you get. Sold it years ago. 
you know, when I was playing in noise rock bands and shoegaze bands, like wah is like so unhip. Like you don't really use wah unless your J mask is kind of maybe. Um, but after the movie, like, and especially going through everything with Brad and uh, Dell and like learning the, like, I kind of feel like I want to wah pedal again because it's nostalgic, yes. but also like that expressiveness you don't get from a delay pedal or a fuzz or whatever. Um, in fact, our, our good friend and colleague, Andy Martin, if you follow him on Instagram, is always talking about how nobody's brought back the fuzzwa yet. I'm, I'm sure it's just a matter mm -hmm. of time. Um, and I think maybe Johnny like, Johnny Water makes a pretty decent one over at Daredevil. Well, perfect. There yeah. you go. I maybe I'll get Johnny to make me a, a special one of some kind. Um, you absolutely should. They're would. badass. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, yeah. I just saw him a couple days ago. Johnny yeah, made yeah, me yeah. A, cu a custom pedal actually. Johnny made oh, that's me a right. fantastic custom pedal. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna go with a really cool fuzzwa. How about that? Awesome. Perfect. All right, Lux. What do you got? I'm going to go with an original tone bender. The reason be is because when I was a young Mark, kid, Mark One. I'm going to go with a Mark One. Well, I'd go with a 1.5 just for okay. resale value, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I guess you can't really go wrong. But uh, yeah, when I was a kid, that was the very first time that I remember uh, kind of understanding like the lore of a pedal. I was probably like nine or 10, read it in uh, probably a guitar player magazine, you know, Jimmy Page, all this kind of stuff, uh, Bowie Records. And um, so I, I, I think it took three years and finally for Christmas, I got a Soulbender. It was, and I think that actually kicked off like my entire sort of pedal, pedal session. So yeah, tone better. Well, in two in two ways, you have preempted future questions of mine. So kudos to you, sir. Because <laughs> literally, the next question that I was going to ask, and, and and actually, this one I kind of posed both of you because mostly I know that Dan, this has been something that's been something of of a forte and expertise for you in the past, or or even currently, obviously. But um, what pedal is going to get absurdly expensive after everyone sees this movie? Hmm. You know, because like th that's just the effect that's that these things question. have. And, and, and I'm wondering what you think. And so by the time, basically you're giving us two days of runway by the time anyone sees this. Yeah. Uh, well, here's this episode. It's, it's uh, funny you mention that it. because do you know the YouTuber Phil McKnight? I do. Yeah. So he's doing a thing in promotion of the movie this week and he got to see an advanced thing of it. And he had a, he does these live podcast recordings and I just noticed in the thumbnail on YouTube, he mentioned the movie, but his point about it, well, he really liked it. So that's good. But he also is saying to all of his audience, you should go buy the pedals you're thinking about buying now. <laughs> yeah. And and to be clear, I think some people with reverb, like especially there, there's a certain like expectation that that's like engineered and like that's definitely not true. Like we don't like seeing pedals inflated or anything like that. Right. Like that's um, but I guess I would say uh, maybe some of the Frantone stuff, because nah. I'd like to think the movie nah. um kind of puts Fran's place in history really front and center and, and kind of gives her yeah. uh her, her 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 dues in terms of her place and that stuff's really hard to come by already so maybe that'll have an effect yep. and then I think perhaps even though there's a million variations of them including the uh the the bliss factory maybe the fuzz factory because mm -hmm. you know the reason yeah. we forefronted the fuzz factory I'm so factory, glad I have a bliss factory already the reason that we forefronted mm -hmm. the fuzz factory was not just because it's a it's a rad pedal we like it's because every single builder we talked to where we said what's some of like the most influential pedals you've you've encountered they all all the modern people said the fuzz factory was like game changing wow. yep. so that's why it's like has that position 
it's it's yeah it's it's incredible i it's it's crazy to look at the prices of those things already but you know that's that's just how it goes and and it's i feel like it's frankly it's kind of naive to pretend like someone you know to accuse you of something like that without thinking like of course everyone knows that that's a reality of what happens anytime anything is popularized or some sort of spotlight is shine on anything like of course prices are going to go up there's more interest that's but it's not like yeah you know reverb didn't didn't manufacture the movie just to make pedals more expensive they were plenty expensive before this movie came oh, out oh yeah anyway, so <laughs> well uh, i was gonna no, add to no that man by, there. by the way i was i was definitely like on my phone looking at pedals throughout the movie so just be be prepared for that <laughs> when you guys watch it. uh i was looking up just about every single pedal mentioned um throughout yeah. the movie so yeah, Michael. What did you? I don't. I don't know if you got a chance to to weigh in on that. anything. Any thoughts there? I was. I was actually going to agree with the Fran Tone. Uh, yeah. Wreck, and and also it has to do with the fact that she's not making pedals anymore. We hope she does eventually. But, no. um, and then also, I mean, I think a lot of people do overlook prescription. I think a lot of people never, maybe they right. never even knew that prescription existed. Um, and the fact that I mean, people like George Tripps. I don't even know if, like, you know, Jack Broussard was, like, an incredible inspiration to him. That early way, huge stuff, too, is a, is another kind of overlooked thing. So, yeah, a lot yeah. of those early 90s boutique builders, I think, yeah. you know. It would be it would actually be interesting considering how much you know I, and I don't even uh, there's so many so many things that I could have already tangented off into here but it's like j people don't necessarily realize even that what George Tripps all the work that he did at Line Six and like on the DL Four yeah. and all that kind of stuff too so it's like yeah. if if all of a sudden this this like way huge Renaissance continues to happen or happens further then it's like will you know are all all of a sudden am I gonna like be seeing you know Line Six DM Fours I mean, for five hundred bucks I don't mean to derail us entirely but that whole thing like. George Trips goes to work for Line Six before restarting with Dunlop, and with there's there's yeah. a million footnotes like that in the stories of these movies that, that didn't really fit into the narrative of the movie, or we couldn't mm. um, just off the top of my head. Here's some these are some good like uh, DVD commentary like tidbits. Um, Hell yeah, Mike Beagle. I was going to ask you to give these, so thank you mm -hmm. for just giving it. <laughs> Mike Beagle of Musitronics, one of my favorite interviews. And yes. This doesn't come up in the movie, but because um, it didn't really make sense. But if you watch, there's actually a spinoff feature on the Reverb YouTube channel you may have seen. It's like the full interview with him. He actually worked for Electro Harmonics uh, doing design with with Mike Matthews later in his career, like in the late 90s. Yep. Um, That's right. And then a similar one is uh, Keith. Uh, uh, is it Keith Bar? Barr? Total Bar. Yeah, Keith Barr. The founder of oh, MXR. Oh, MXR story. Oh my later, god, that was so cool. So was, later, he also worked for Alesis and developed the ADAP machine, which is like the most what? influential home recording device wow. ever. I mean, like up, it's like right up there. Um, and that's not a pedal, so it didn't really fit into the story. But like, yeah. he had this whole second life being this huge innovator in the world of like digital music processing. That, um, you know. So there's a lot of like yeah. other and, and he, like what, he, what was it? He dropped out of high school after he took all the classes he thought he needed, and then just yep. like taught himself electronics and invented <laughs> all this amazing shit. Yeah, yeah totally. he, he could have done an entire documentary just on Keith. I hope to one day because after that he ended up uh, creating cardio, like cardio medical equipment. That oh, that wow. I mean, it, just like a phenomenal story. Uh, also, though, Fran. Blanche, I believe, designed the circuit for the '90s for one of the '90s Big Muffs. So yeah, there's the original reissue really? Big Muff. Yeah, wow. Yep. Um, and then, the 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 NYC, the one that looks like an old one, it's like the really standard red and black one you have been able to get for the last twenty sure. years at every store. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one. 
Yeah, there's all. Um, yeah, it is all full, full circle, yeah. and, and that's the thing. It's like we could. I mean, that was Dave and I were also talking about that too. There are so many cool stories throughout this entire film that's just like we could have sat here and just been like, "Hey, remember that one story? Yeah. Remember that one thing?" But it's like <laughs> we don't want to spoil the movie for people too. So, I'm, thank you for sharing this behind the scenes stuff. That's yeah, really, really, cool. really awesome, and, and extra, extra, extra knowledge, and and really. Uh, ties it back for us here so then okay here we go bring it back to couple two tree let's just close this this part out uh question from our previous guest andrew pelletier who i we learned throughout the course of that episode that you were former bandmates did not oh, know yeah. that you yes know, i love andrew so, um so after you listen to this episode and watch the movie again, then go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But what he would like to know um, from – so usually when we ask this question to our guests, we don't tell them who's going to be on, but we, we spoiled it last week. Uh, so he he knew who it was going to be, and he and he wants to know from both of you, uh, what was – at what point in making the, the documentary as a creator did you think, this is awesome? Uh, yesterday, <laughs> I mean, at the beginning of the recording of the podcast, when you guys were telling us how much you liked it, um, um, I, right. Sure. Well, this, did either, did you, either of you have a, a moment throughout the course of making it where it just sort of like something clicked? Sure. Cause I, of course, every time you're making something, you have the mm-hmm. self doubt thing of that's going to happen. But if there was, he was wondering if there was a moment It's a sort of indirect answer to this that I, that I think kind of gets at it is I think the big inflection point for us was originally this project was just going to be about modern boutique makers like the Mm -hmm. the original email chain where we were like talking about this and emailing people was called quote the rise of the boutique pedal business or industry or something oh wow very george so it would have been like the 21st century part of this film yeah the original the original question that precipitated this whole thing was it's crazy that in 1989 so we started this in 2019 i guess so 1989 there were like seven pedal brands in the world. And in 2019, wow. there's like three, 5,000 of them. Like, how mm. did that happen? Like, what are the forces that, like, that doesn't just happen randomly. Like, there's a, so the original kind of like hypothesis in the, that inspired the movie was like that question and like tracing that history because nobody had really talked about it in this detail before. So that led us to start trying to do these sort of like oral history interview interviews with like, you know, Brian Wampler and, and, and Josh Scott and all these, all these sort of boutique and then trips and, and et cetera. And then at a certain point, there was this inflection where we realized, all right, this is really starting to come together. There's some really great material here. These, this is these really interesting stories. If we have people who are going to come to this not being pedal heads, which was really sort of an expressed intention from the beginning, it really makes a lot of sense to kind of rewind and have that first act where you start at the beginning and go through. And I think that moment where we were like sort of step back and we're like, this isn't just a really long YouTube video. This isn't like an hour long, like, you know, feature Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a film. Um, I think that was probably the moment where it was sort of like, um, ratcheting up the ambition and the expectation. I, I guess that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah. For me, it was, I mean, myself and John Gagan, who was our lead editor, shout out, John, um, spent, probably 12 months in post-production. And so being myself, being somebody who has worked in post-production for over a decade, you tend to not get really excited about something until you can find, you know, you're working in little bits and pieces and you're working with, you know, hundreds of hours Mm -hmm. of source material. So for me, it was honestly the very first time that I was able to sit down and watch uh, a really rough cut of like a three hour, it was like three, maybe it was over three hours uh, of all of our 
individual reels uh, mm -hmm. uh, put together. And at that moment, I felt like, okay, this is this is something. This is a movie, and I got really <laughs> excited about it. You know, because you just spend so long working on um, little sections, little sections, and, mm -hmm. and you're all over the place. And then when it all comes together, is really like the most uh, gratifying thing. And then you and then you just uh, polish and polish and polish until you have what you see on the screen. And and what we saw on the screen is ten out of ten germanium transistors. So uh, <laughs> there it is, gearbud seal, seal of approval. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for that. Those were both very honest, um, lovely answers. So let's uh, before we before we get back into the movie too much. I, I do want to kind of get to know you guys for our audience just a little bit more to kind of understand not only where the movie came from but who it came from. So I guess you know we'll start we'll we'll start with you, Michael. Um, give us just a little bit of your background. You know where'd you grow up? What's your sort of history with music? When did you start playing and getting interested in in the whole music playing and and recording and now movie making world? Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, luckily when I was about seven, I got a camera and I got a guitar. Uh, so my parents are and here. We are exactly. Today, that's, 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 that's pretty <laughs> and, much and it. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was pretty lucky to have, uh, a, a, a mother who's a really great musician and a father who mm. loves film. And so wow. it kind of both came, uh, they kind of came at the same time. I was making little ripoffs of movies when I was a kid and then also trying to learn how to make little Nirvana sounding grunge bands in the mid nineties. Um, and so, yeah, basically I, film and music have kind of been, I mean, I went to film school, you know, but I always had bands, went on tour, came home, made, you know, work as a producer on little short films, yeah. et cetera. So it's just kind of been completely, you know, side by side until uh, I came to reverb in 2014. So, ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, all comes together there. So I know that in the, uh, as we mentioned in that previous episode, uh, um, or Andrew Pelletier mentioned, uh, you played some bass in minor characters. Is that, are you a bassist? Do you have like a number one instrument uh, that you typically sort of gravitate to? I, that was the first time I've ever played bass in a band proper. Um, Heck of a start. Yeah, but I, I had a really good, you know, the bassist who recorded all of the songs I was playing on is a phenomenal bassist. And so really I was just copying all of his stuff, which was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's always a good start. Yeah, yeah. but it was, I mean, it's so it's such fun stuff. My, my main instruments, I mean, as of late, the only instrument that I really play often is a double neck console steel non-pedal. Um, ah, cool. But, yeah. uh, you know, I've been playing guitar for what, a long time. What's, what do you have main, main tunings that you play in? Yeah, I play, um, a high GC six and then an E nine or a, an E 13 on the top neck. And, uh, I try to, I've owned pedal steels, but I, I really like the consoles, you know, the old school fifties guy. I have a fender of uh, mm -hmm. early fifties fender, uh, dual eight, but, um, I love it because it just seems to bring a little more character. You got to do more slides. You got to do some, some, some bending of, of your, uh, tone bar and I was playing a lot of slide on six strings, you know, kind of Americana slide type of stuff. So it, it just feels more natural to not have to be moving my knees and legs and feet all the time too. <laughs> Dude, I love, I, I love it. as long as we're here, I've got to ask. And I don't believe I've ever actually in over 100 episodes of the show been able to ask yet. What's your, what's your go-to desert Island steel pedal? Oh, it's a volume pedal. Of course. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, volume. That is that is a perfect answer. I feel I feel bested. Congratulations, you win a second second favorite uh, pedal, Desert Island, to go after volume pedal. And don't say tuner. No, not a tuner. <laughs> so I actually had uh, Johnny Water from Daredevil make me a a double treble booster, and the reason oh. is because it's it's fantastic. It's germanium. It's ten out of ten germanium. And uh, uh, what I my ears just started ringing when you said the word double treble booster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not it's it's not what you think entirely, but the idea um, uh, of essentially using the first stage and they are two separate circuits. They're kind of two different takes. One's kind of range mastery. The other one is kind of his own uh, proprietary take on on something else with some different tonal circuitry. I'm not a builder. Um, so, uh, yeah, the idea is kind of the first stage is always on and it's kind of this really nice preamp that that's, so it's not meant to be super piercing and trebly like you think of it like that. It's just that idea of sort of like, you know, the Brian May always on type of thing. So you get a little more sustain, all that. And then if, if you want to kick it up for a, for a solo, it's really acting as, uh, you know, just a bit of volume boost and a little bit of tonal difference but it really rips if you want it to it's great with a telecaster well if it's daredevil there we've we've you know johnny's been on he's a friend we've talked about a lot of daredevil stuff the thing that i've always said about daredevil pedals is you never there you never have a moment with a daredevil pedal where you wonder if it's on or not yeah that is true <laughs> it's it's pretty obvious true. oh yeah. also i should mention that that custom pedal of mine got reworked and is now the acid horse so you actually can buy a variation it's not the, it's, ah, yeah it's not the same thing but it's a similar thing look at that yeah you were just I, like all these footnotes we've been talking about just the constant footnotes in, in life and pedals uh there's another one for you folks all right uh dan you've been very very attentive and, and kind and, and participatory over there but let's turn it back to you what's your where did you grow up what's your um your sort of background in history of music sure yeah so i grew up in the east coast in the suburbs of dc um my dad is a musician lifer and was always in like cover bands in the neighborhood. So grew up like, like literally like, Oh man, our bass player can't make it to the gig this, you know, next week. Can you fill in? Like, I always thought my dad like taught me how to play music from an early age, just so we would have like a, like a pinch hitter for his like like, (laughs) suburban dad bands. A lot of, I can play every Steely Dan song on like every instrument. Um, Hell yeah. That's incredible. Well, that's not, not, yeah, not, not all, well, not like the Larry Carlton solos. I can play like the chords, you yeah. know, and the, like, sure. I was gonna say, even like some of those mu major chords and stuff. Yeah. There's some really interesting voicings they use. That's oh, awesome. I feel like next time I'm, I see you guys, you're going to like make me play a bunch of Steely Dan. I'm going to totally fail. Probably. It and I'm just set yep. myself up. But, um, so yeah, always, Dude, I've already, I already have got Josie down pat. So I hope you've got that. That's one great. Ready. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's sort of my background. I, um, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person who's like, uh, like journeyman at a lot of instruments, but like not really very good at any particular instrument. Um, and, uh, my, my like gear kind of style, I guess, is that I love buying like stupid, obscure, crappy stuff. Like I've, I've had like several tenor guitars made in like the 1950s and like, like electric mandolins and, and that kind of stuff like that, which is why when I started working at reverb, it was kind of like perfect for me because that's sort of like the foundation. So, um, before reverb back in like 2010, 2011, I worked at zounds at Mbira, which is where, Hey, we, what's up? Which is where we met. Um, and that's right. in fact, I don't know, maybe this is a little bit too behind the scenes. I actually took over your job, I believe. 
Um, or you did. Some... I, I didn't learn that until much later. That's true. After I left, right. uh, To uh, arguably maybe greener pastures. I'm not sure what how that all ended. But yeah, you. I, I guess you you filled my my seat. How how was that for you? What was that like? It was good because when I started working at, at Zounds, I was in the customer service department, and then I got brought over to the marketing department to do like SEO copywriting because I had a writing yeah, background because I was a I was a history major in college, but I also did a lot of journalism. So I've always been a sharp writer. Um, and, and like sort of a history buff, as we alluded to earlier, for better or for worse. Um, so SEO writing, doing like web copy for like Gibson and Fender as like brands was actually kind of great because it was like a great opportunity to like learn a lot about vintage guitars via like, like one of the projects I had at Zounds, like this was like a decade ago, was like write original SEO copy for every custom shop guitar they had so that was where like i learned a totally. lot about like okay this is what the difference between a 57 and a 58 less ball you know all this kind of stuff so anyway after about a year of that there was some you know i won't go into it but i wanted to leave and i got connected with yeah. david cult who is the founder of reverb and just right place at the right time sent him a cold email ended up working for reverb as the first person who wasn't there were two developers on staff like writing the actual code base and like building the site and david brought me on just kind of to be this jack of all trades doing customer service and social media and listing standards. And then I was with Reverb for eight years. And then I recently left the full-time job there, but I'm still kind of involved vis-a-vis the movie because the movie was kind of the course, last sure. the last project. But as far as the movie, you know, like I said, I, I, I've always been a real history person. So where Michael really brought to the table, like the, like I can't, I've never opened, you know, I, I can't do like I can't like edit video, you know. I can edit. I made a slide. You, you have premiere chops. I, I made a slideshow for my grandmother for her birthday recently, and and iMovie, but that's <laughs> that's about where it ends. Um, and uh, so I think the collaboration that Michael and I had, and not to discount John Gagan, who is the third kind of uh component of this of this creative team. Um, you know where where they were bringing a lot of the kind of know how on a film basis. I think I was able to contribute more of like the researching the history of the pedals and, and the, and the kind of like, uh, and the journalism as well. I think, you know, just sort of like where to quote things and how to build that, you know, I think let us be very Absolutely. collaborative on that level. So that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I also do want to know yeah, that's that'll shows. I do. Yeah. I do want to note as a, as a, as a, in non pandemic times, Michael and I do play in a country band together, um, which will right. someday oh. run, which will someday ride again. So while he said earlier, he was playing mostly steel. I have spent the last few months basically only playing banjo. Like that is the instrument. See, I, I was I wasn't gonna bust man. you on that because you guys are the purveyors of the pedal movie. I'm like these motherfuckers are playing banjo. Like what? <laughs> yeah. the, like I didn't know if I was gonna even be able to throw it, throw it in the throw it in the episode or not. But you you busted it out. So there it is. That's great. It's just what happens when you hit your hit your mid 30s and you just go straight back to the 50s country. <laughs> yep. I, I, I was playing acoustic guitar for an hour before this episode. Yeah. So trust me, I, I have no room to talk. Uh, but before we leave, I do want to say, so uh, to your writing, I mean, just obviously I'm sure, I'm sure most people listening to this have read something that Dan has written before with it, whether that was in premier guitar, you know, reverb, of course you're doing this, uh, a new Instagram, which I think is super interesting, obscure guitar history. Oh yes. Um, oh yes. Shout but, out my but new I Instagram. also wanted to mention, I, I haven't actually read it yet. So, uh, there's, um, for a long time, I had you know so we already mentioned Dave's doc. He's Dave's docs. He he does another movie review every. Well, I was trying to do a, a different music book review every week, and that caught up with me pretty quick. I could not. I really could not keep that going. <laughs> but um, I previous in two of them, I did uh, what were the, it was um God now I can't even think. It's like a patch in. It's Patchen the tweet. previous yep. uh, 
Patch and Tweak and Push Turn Move. I did both of those books, but I have not gotten to Pedal Book yet, which I know that you contributed to. Yeah, Pedal Crush. So Pedal Crush. Pedal Crush, right. Pedal Crush is a great book. I have a copy right here. I wrote the uh, timeline. It's the very last chapter, best for last. Um, that's and the timeline of pedal history was literally just like a more like literate written out version of one of the research docs that Michael and I had for the movie. So we had kind of made this like key moments in pedal history timeline. And then, you know, actually in, in the, in the pedal crush, it says, you know, this is research done for the pedal movie, which is going to be out next year. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I mean, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm not supposed to say much about this, but all I can say is that, uh, Kim, who's the proprietor of books, which, which produces Mm -hmm. all those, um, and my obscure guitar history, Instagram handle, let's just say there is some connection there and I'll leave it at that. That is a beautiful wow. tidbit to leave us with, uh, folks. There's a, there's a scoop that is not really a scoop, but half of a scoop and I'm going to take it. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's awesome. Um, okay. So turn back to the movie a bit, some more here. So I know you, you mentioned this email chain, right? And there was this thing where I was like, what if we made this boutique thing? And then at, at what point did you realize you were actually making a movie, right? Well, that it was like, okay, we've got some footage and maybe we're going to start compiling some ideas, but was there a moment where it was like, this is a movie now? Yeah. I think the, the moment when we decided this needs to be a full length film or maybe a series, we, we did maybe two years ago, we thought, Oh, maybe this, this might actually need to be like four or five or six hours. Um, was probably after our interview with Josh Scott, to be honest, uh, it was, uh, I think it was a four hour interview and wow. Af- wow. and after that, and you'd be surprised. A lot of these interviews were like three hours. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much yeah. to talk about, That's right? Awesome. Well, do you, do you know like how much footage was taken? Yeah, I think it's, it sits somewhere around 150 hours. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can't even, I, yeah, I truly, and, and so that's over the course of two years. A little over. I mean, you know, because at Reverb we're constantly shooting all kinds of stuff, especially uh, you know, a lot of that being with pedal builders or artists talking about effects and any number of other things, too. Um, we kind of were always asking the questions that would end up contextually working for a project like this. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess you could say we've been making this movie for like four years, but but sure. just not knowingly until maybe closer to, yeah, like two and a half, three years ago. Wow incredible so and then uh, how long I, I think you sort of mentioned it but i want to kind of put a, a button on it how long was the actual edit process uh, with all that film? so it was it was in tandem we had i had a great assistant editor jim o'connell um and then john gagan it's our lead editor so for dan and i it was essentially distilling uh a hundred odd interviews a lot of the you know in archival interviews etc into transcripts that i think stretched around 500,000 words and then from there Dan and I spent probably 6 months uh whittling it down to the to the to the I mean you should see this this <laughs> scrivener file this document is is you know there's like 75 sub themes it's it's pretty intense you know because <laughs> we knew we knew we wanted it to be chronological so it was really easy to follow if sure. you weren't a gearhead um, but if you, you know, well, the structure is very interesting because it is chronological, but you also are sort of forced to pepper mm. certain other things throughout, like the yeah. technology behind the pedals that kind of doesn't really happen until sort of the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and how did you, how did you, how did you sort of wrangle that? That's that it's a good question. Cause that was definitely on like an editorial level, probably the biggest challenge of the whole process 
was the fact that once you get to like 2000 ish, like the last really like chronological, like hard and fast thing is probably like 2008, 2010, like the recession. Sure. Uh, and then once you get past that, it's much more thematic. So it's sort of like a, um, it, it looks, it looks like a tree, right? It's like a straight line and then kind of branches at the top. Um, mm. so that was definitely, I mean, and, and it eventually it was kind of the real, realization that there's a lot of sort of sub themes as we were calling them that we can't, there's just not enough time to like get into every single one of them. And a lot of the stuff was really kind of nerdy. And I think a lot of people who saw, like you guys probably would have really appreciated some of the stuff that was lost to that. But again, this, this balance and you, you, we alluded, you know, alluded to this earlier, but like this balance between trying to make something that's going to be um, captivating for both somebody who is really invested in loves pedals and knows a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. maybe, but also somebody who like is interested in music history or maybe plays guitar, but doesn't know anything about pedals. And, and I think trying to make those selections through that lens of like, is this going to be interesting to all of the above or at least most of the above was sort of the guiding, um, the guiding principle for, I, I just said as an example, we asked all these contemporary builders a lot about like the really like in the weeds design process. And you get like mm -hmm. some of that still exists in the movie for sure. And it's, it's brought in contextually at different points. Um, but you know, at a certain point you realize we really don't need a bunch of different people talking about like, which, you know, how they approach soldering like this and that and like where they make right. selections well, for this. Yeah, the fact is the Anderton's book exists already, who, which I, I felt amazing having, you know, just having been on the nerdy side of things for so yeah, long, how so much cool. of, how much of you had him in there was great too, because, you know, bringing a full circle then to see the people that then read his book, then to then now being the ones influencing others in this current generation. That was, that yeah. was super neat. And Craig is a great, great, dude and like partner and, and has a lot of wisdom and is like so articulate about about a lot of this stuff so he was I, we were, I was so glad we were able to interview him for it yeah absolutely so i guess it's sort of in that sort of similar vein um was there was there someone that that you really tried to track down for the movie that that you couldn't get that you're mm -hmm. that you sort of wish maybe if you could make a sequel that you'd get for it yeah lots of people um, a lot of people <laughs> honestly uh and there yeah. were people that we we had slated for interviews uh, and then COVID hit, you know, John Cusack was someone, Tom, uh, ah, Tom sure. Cram, uh, GOD and Digitech. There was all kinds of folks that, um, and, and we were slated to go, uh, spend, spend a day with Mike Matthews. So, um, you know, right. it, it's just yeah. in the, at least there's all that nice Nam footage as you got to, to get to include. Right. Yeah. yeah. Shout outs to Nam. Great, a great partner for this. Um, beautiful uh, organization. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it really was. I mean, if you were, if you can recall, you know, February, March last year, it was really like we couldn't, there was no chances. We, we, we didn't know what was going on. Nope. So, uh, right. at that point, you know, it was like, all right, like we just got to get to editing and we got it. Thankfully we were able to bring in a couple of really amazing partners to help us. Um, because a lot of folks, you know, have been filming things for their own purposes over the years. So it really worked out nice. And in most documentaries, especially music documentaries you're going to see a, a a good amount of like archival interviews and things so it, it kind of fits and sets you in certain those certain time periods anyway um so mm -hmm. aesthetically it all kind of worked out for us it yeah. did yeah and and i i've got to quickly say also you you mentioned uh dod i was actually i for for our fans and <laughs> listeners no i i have i'm the self-christened dodfather these days i'm trying to complete an old 
DOD collection. Not, I mean, not really, but sort of. Um, but I, I felt it was really, I really loved to see just a, even a little bit of, you know, the American pedal, quote unquote, uh, getting getting some love in there. And I, I had to laugh at the one story, which I will share with Josh Scott was talking about um, them making their, their one reverb that they ever made, which is like probably yeah. the most expensive DOD pedal. And I've talked about it on this show before. That really does kind of sound like <laughs> shit. And it was yeah. so bad that they, DOD <laughs> never, never made, made a reverb pedal ever again. <laughs> but, you <Yes>. know, <laughs> that was fucking awesome. DOD is a really good example where like, it would have been really great to interview some of the, the DOD folks, you know, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm blanking on their names, but, um, you know, at a certain point you kind of have, especially with COVID, that was a huge intensifier, but if, even without that, you kind of have to draw the line and be like, you can, a lot of documentaries that hit production, they kind of end up in this, um, this limbo where they're just collecting footage and footage and footage. And, and you have to, right. you have to kind of pull the plug at some point and actually start editing, um, or it'll never get done. So, you know, our approach was very much like, let's find stories that are very emblematic and important that can kind of stand in for a lot of other stuff. And that's especially true when you get to the modern era where, you know, everybody has their favorites and there's, there's, I mean, one of the themes is like, there's an endless amount of pedal companies out there. We couldn't possibly interview every single one yep. of them. So the idea of like, like a good, this is sort of what I was saying earlier about this, like having multiple people say the same thing. You know, we have a few people talking about learning how to solder and getting a book and going on, you know, the forums and um, learning about, you know, mods and, and DIY schematics. I mean, if we yep. wanted to, we could have had an hour of just people telling that same story over and over again, right? Like, oh, I, I could, I could tell that story. I've done that path myself. It's yeah, I think a lot of us. So, have. so in the same, by the same token, it's like we had this great interview with Mike Beagle talking about the origins of Musitronics in in the seventies, and like, yeah, we mm -hmm. don't talk about every pedal company that started in the in the seventies, but like, you know, this is a really good one that kind of speaks to the broader trend because. What the movie's not is an excite is an encyclopedia of like every pedal and every pedal brand. It's it's you know it's the it's the thematic sort of sort of um, flow and arc of it. I think right. No, I yeah, I think you can definitely draw themes throughout each of the sort basically decade by decade until you reach the twenty first century. Right. At least from my sort of you know um, ham ham headed uh, movie watching point. Yeah, I view. thought you guys did a great job of kind of moving it along. Like you know you would talk about you know the origins and like you know I watched it with my wife and she. She had no idea that the Maestro Fuzz was like, you know, basically the first thing, you know, the first thing ever. And, you know, no satisfaction. Chicago, baby. What's Ooh. up? Yeah. And like, you know, it blew her mind that like, you know, Can't Get No Satisfaction was kind of like the first song with that tone that kind of exposed it to the world. And she she just little little tidbits like that kind of history where that's always been like a word of mouth thing with like friends of ours and pedal heads and stuff. But to, to see it in an actual documentary, like, you know kind of pinpointing it in history makes it really, really interesting. Yeah, and that yeah. was a that was a big That's a good point. That was a really big factor right from the beginning that we really wanted to make sure that this the that while it's a love letter to pedal builders and sort of like that ingenuity, that creativity, mm -hmm. um that it also shows the parallels between the influence that it had on music and vice versa. Artists and the yeah, builders. Right. Um and, you know, that's the easiest way. I think most of us probably got into effects because we heard, you know, somebody that we liked listening to was using something. Oh, that's how they got that sound, right? Yep. We just dig a little bit. Absolutely. We just, you know, dig a little bit further as musicians. But if you're not a musician, but you're a music fan, those types of stories uh, kind of help to ground you in like, oh, I've heard that sound. I, I understand what that is. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 lo I loved that. And, and I noticed that even in, in 
even early on, you talked about like I feel like each sort of decade had an example of that, and there was even one where you were talking about Hendrix seeing Zappa playing the Wah, and it's like, holy shit, can you imagine Hendrix yeah. having not seen that? Like, what right, happens right. if he never got a Wah? Right. And yeah. then, and then the that that sort of general like pattern of feedback loops where creator of music equipment or instruments and artists and how they kind of influence each other. I mean, Joel uh, of of Chase Bliss um, mm-hmm. says that very explicitly in one point of the movie about how that. And I, I mean that that's not a pedal specific thing. It's a it's a music gear and instrument thing that I, I just am endlessly fascinated with. Um, I was reading this book earlier about sort of like early developments in the history of the electric guitar and like every you know like Fender was like like Leo Fender was obsessed with like taking his finding guinea pigs of like country players in Southern California in the fifties who mm-hmm. you know he had a several prototypes of the stratocaster and he would take it to these gigs and like and like hand it to musicians to be like oh yep. the, the knob should really go here we should put the jack in the front instead of the bottom because you know it's like right. um and that in turn ter- you know creates the next generation of music gear and then that in, in turn influences what the next generation of music that comes out is going to be um and you can apply that same the same thing happened with with the talk box in the film too totally yeah mm-hmm that was I didn't I didn't know that whole story at all and mm. also I wanted to give a, a shout out specifically about the choice of that Pete Drake song because you picked my favorite version of it too because that song I mean it's still I can listen to that song like yes. 40 times a day and it's well it was enough. it was co-directed uh, by a steel player so I had to pick that one <laughs> <laughs> but that that version of him with the talk box and then that then like Frampton tells a story about how he got it and because he was playing with Harrison and then that's Joe Walsh it's like this yeah, whole crazy. crazy thing and all of this music came out of just like this guy inventing this box yeah uh, it is amazing and I will also uh, shout out if you enjoy that um Peter Frampton clip there's there's two videos on the reverb YouTube channel that come from that same interview where he talks about guitars mm-hmm. and stuff it's pretty great he's awesome if if only for the impressions he does of joe walsh and uh george harrison it's worth it <laughs> oh my god yeah they're, they're incredible i was laughing my ass off um so i i we're talking about um this like sort of approach to the interviews and like making these discoveries was do either of you have maybe like a a coolest discovery i know obviously you're both so deeply immersed in this world to begin with, but like, is there something that each of you, maybe a pedal or even not even necessarily a pedal or just a piece of music or something that you learned about through making this film that just like you never would have expected. For me, a lot, a lot of it came from, or a lot of like the, the kind of, wow, this is a, this is amazing, which kind of, it doesn't necessarily have to do with, with pedals, but my biggest kind of like, aha, this is, this is, kind of nuts was just learning the the backgrounds of a lot of these original builders like the fact that you know roger mayer and cornish are like royal naval engineers and mike matthews is is promoting chuck berry and promoting all of these groups like the birds and then you have like semiconductor manufacturers like roger smith and like fran blanche trying to make products to sell in like an electronics rental shop like uh, it, it's just such a bizarre cacophony. Like I, I love those those types of stories. That like, there's no reason why they should have made effects pedals, you know, right. <laughs> but they did. That was like yeah. incredibly fascinating, yeah. and we just kept finding those types of things. Uh, this, this is. I mean, this sort of similarly. It's like just the general how many. It's it's very inspiring. Like I think one of the things that people might enjoy about the movie is like it's a success for a lot of these companies. It's like success of like small 
business entrepreneurship. And like so many of these companies, especially the modern ones, um, you know, they didn't set out to like be successful or if this was necessarily even going to be their full time job. And just hearing story after story about how, you know, I was able to leave this job I hated and hate and do something that I consider to be like art and like inspire people to make music. And that's like beautiful. Yeah. Um, I guess I kind of knew that inherently just from knowing some of these pedal builders before we started working on the movie mm-hmm. and being immersed in this stuff for years, just different ways. But like um, just hearing so many people talk about being able to turn their passion into like their livelihood. And in a lot of cases, create a lot of jobs for other people who are trying to do the same thing right. in the way. Like, you know, if you talk to like Earthquake Julie or Jamie or Keeley, yeah. uh, you know, Josh Scott, all these all these sort of bigger boutique and even some of the smaller ones, they take a lot of um, pride in in supporting the industry and community. And I think that's like um, really, really wonderful. And I'm, just, I'm glad we were able to sort of highlight that in different ways. Well, to that point, I think you, you did it. Yeah, you did it in a number of different ways. And that's one of the things I really want to talk about to kind of stay in the, the sort of like more modern 21st century a little bit. And it's something that I think you did a great job of reckoning with directly in the film that you easily could have overlooked. And that's all the societal and social social issues. I mean, <clears throat> you know, the fact is, is there, there's been a lot of misogyny. There's been a lot of closed doors for a lot of people in the world. But to your point, you know, even from a business sense, not even, of course, thinking like the, the obvious ethical and moral sense of wanting to be inclusive of, of other human beings, but strictly from a business sense, it makes sense to want to be inclusive of everybody, right? Like, wouldn't you want women or people of color or non-binary folks, what, like, why wouldn't you want to open the door to those people? Because then they're going to use your pedals and they're going to make cool stuff with them. And then the, like that, it just, that whole mindset doesn't make any sense to me. So I wanted to really specifically talk about that and call that out a bit with you guys, because you did from the beginning of the film, such a great job of making it not just a movie of fucking white dudes with guitars <laughs> yeah i mean it, yeah you can't you, you can't you can't really talk about the pedal industry in general without talking about the culture of it and that culture goes into like many many different facets um yeah not just diversity but i i think that f- for us it was really important I, I think that it's just a lot of people just don't kind of realize um the reasons from the reasons why it's classically uh, not an extremely diverse industry. And so, you know, rather than dwelling, you know, on a a lot of the the sort of like specifics, I think it's just really important to call out like, well, here, here are some of the reasons. And I think Fabi from She Shreds does a fantastic job of, of just kind of explaining like, here, here's like, here's why. And but but here's where here's That's where right. we've come. And I think um, it's, you know, it's definitely important to point out that this is kind of where we're headed and that a lot of that, you know, has to do with um, the, the great natural work of a lot of the um, the modern pedal companies. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it is, it just, you know, the work isn't done, but it is exciting to see just the work that has been done and where, where we are currently. And it feel, it feels like we're moving in the right direction. So I think we're all on the same page there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to say, I noticed that it wasn't just guitarists, you know, there, there was also a, a focus, especially towards the end to kind of shine a light on some, some other people, especially bassists. Like obviously, you know, we saw Juan Alderete in there, which Marcus um, Miller, 
Marcus Miller was in there a bunch, which is awesome. I also, Amazing, I, and I know here. we said we weren't going to call out like specific funny things, but there was one moment when Juan refers to the dudes from that pedal show <laughs> as uh, those soccer dads. And I, almost, <laughs> I, I literally almost shit my pants when I saw that line. I thought it was like the funniest thing I'd ever. Yeah. He's like, who are those soccer dads? But I mean, he was talking about how, you know, the importance of YouTube and, and yeah. the sort of shift that that's all well, happened, which the, is the ways that I was laughing the, so hard. The behind the scenes of that is based, I mean, he said that on his own volition because, you know, that's, that's one but like um yeah we 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 had been you know we worked with dan of that pedal uh uh, show a couple years ago when we did this video with andy called um musician's guide to london which highly recommend on the oh right sure um very good so you know we had been emailing him and we were asking we we did a not a ton because it's a it's it's sort of a pain but we did a few like remote interviews where we had people like set up cameras and we like did a video call um, and we were trying to hook that up with those guys, but it was like right when COVID was hitting, everybody was chaos. You know, you have kids. It's like, mm-hmm. it just, the timing. And so we said, um, we were, we really wanted to make sure we gave them a little Easter egg in the movie by showing a clip from their channel. Um, <laughs> yeah. because we were, they were, everybody involved was a little bummed that didn't work out. Like, you know, all good vibes, but so, um, I, I, you know, it's all in good fun and I think they'll hopefully they'll, of they'll appreciate it. I think they'll, yeah, oh, of yeah. course. They, I mean, they clearly, I, I don't know them personally, but it seems like all involved have proper senses of humor. To, oh, yeah. To enjoy such a thing. Oh, of course. I think the, one of the other things that, um, that you definitely get into a, a bit in the film, which I feel like obviously based on who is making the film could be part of the sort of, question we were, we were talking about a bit earlier but it's this idea of w- what's happening to the the effect of the vintage and collector's market and and really mm. it's it is pretty interesting how you how you track how much of that has to do not directly because of but how much of that was involved with andy who we've already mentioned andy martin from reverb and just the videos that he was making for pro guitar shop back in the day yeah. and then how that spawned this entire giant industry around it so it's pretty cool that i thought that to have him sort of voicing it it's like and to that point you know one one thing i wanted to call out that i noticed throughout the film and i and i kind of wanted to ask your your thoughts on this and your perspective was you know the entire film is told by the by the people who who actually created the pedals by the people who use the pedals by the people that were there it's not like there's there's some sort of narrator was that something that you guys ever considered doing like sort of voiceover narration for the film or or was that never even i don't think that was ever on the table Uh, the style of documentary that i really like is this style it's the the sort of no narrating or no narration um almost like verite but it's not that's not the correct term for this um but sure uh, where you're really we didn't want to insert ourselves. Um, we right. wanted the, the, the experts and the people who were there to tell the story, which makes it incomprehensibly more difficult to make. Yeah. But the payoff I, is that you never feel like you're being, uh, or hopefully you don't feel like you're being sort of, um, you know, undersold something or, or that we're trying to push something in a certain way that, you know, it may not be the, the way that these folks saw it. And and I like maybe this is sort of like film school ish and like highfalutin, but bear with me here. I think one of the main themes of the movie, directly or indirectly, is like the kind of community and joy that comes from this stuff. Whether it's Vic Flick walking into the you know uh, the shop and you know uh, Gears like oh I'll, I'll fix that for you no problem like in the '60s or like you know modern pedal companies today like trading pedals via the mail. It's like yep. it's very communal yeah. and it's like very it's very it's a lot of fun. And like the same way that, you know, we're going to do a show, you know, at Mutiny, there's gonna be five bands on the bill and 
like let's all we'll share an amp you know um mm-hmm. and i think by not having a narrator that sort of makes it a little bit more formal it, it reflects um that kind of like we're all pitching in we're all doing this together we're all jamming for you know if you forgive me that term and all, like we're all and <laughs> I, I think that kind of passing the baton back and forth between this person's recollection of this and and, and so forth it kind of it kind of speaks to that on a um sort of like film like a formal level in a way if if i may be so bold as to venture that oh i'm glad you were so bold because that is literally my next note that i wanted to get into was the community so you just you did it for me and 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 the one one line that i i noticed which i never really thought about um as i was thinking about this this part was i i believe it was uh philippe from caroline uh he said something about how a guitar player turns over their sound every six months to a year yeah and Hmm. i had never thought of that before. And I, I mean, I totally couldn't agree more, but really what, what does that involve? And, and I think to his point, maybe to the, the film's point is usually it comes what, in, what's in between the guitar and the, and the amp. It's, it's kind of the pedals or those flavors. And that's um, something I really never thought about. And I could not truly couldn't agree more with more. I, I flip my pedal board pretty much every six months to a year. I just, I redo it. And um, he nailed it with that one. Yeah, the fa- yeah. And I think that's the hobby, right? Like that's why people are more like those in, in a good way. Like people are, there are people who are more into pedals than they are into guitar, like even if they are really good guitar players and that kind yep. of like hobby of it, like building a board and flipping a board um, is, is super fun. It's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's the same, you know, people who are into like, you know, collecting vinyl, you know, like, or whatever, even non-musical things like that kind mm-hmm. of like depth of exploration where you're always looking out for that new thing. Um, that's really what fuels the, the, the pedal market. And I mean, we see, we saw it quite a bit on reverb over the years. Like that's where yeah. that comes from. And I think a lot of the anxiety people are having right now about like pedal scalping and like collectability, it comes from like this tension between, are you doing this because you actually are passionate and like want to try that new sound or that new pedal that came out or whatever it is, or you're, you're, you're on that, that tone quest, or are you doing it because you're going to put it in a box in a closet and, you know, hope it appreciates in value. And I think there's a lot of just anxiety in the pedal community right now about, people kind of veering towards the latter when there's this sort of notion that it really should be the former you should sure. be, yeah so well and and you know i on a personal level there is there's one pedal that comes to mind that i am a sort of super freak about with in that way and that's the harmonic percolator which yep. <laughs> you know i've got to say i was quite I excited chuffed. when it when it was in there Especially because I remember Dan having a conversation with you about it a year or so ago too so I was just like oh I'm so glad it's in there but um i you know I, I have the only one that I know of that's sold on reverb, like the real one in the wow. past, you know, as long as reverb shows records for such things. And I'm, you know, I'm, I, okay, well, I will say I have like 10 of them, including all the different clones and everything, but like I have an original one, but that sits in, that sits in a, well, there is no box, but that sits in a bag away from sunlight, you know, for, for that kind of reason. So it's, I guess, unfortunately I might be, I might be on both sides <laughs> of that coin. I think, I think unfortunately, but I mean, that's a good I mean, one. I don't know about that. Like you're, you're actually using them though, right? Like you're not like, it's like, I, 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 I use the real, I use the real one at home, but I would never put it on a pedal board. No. I ha- but I have like the you know the Theramaniacs clone. I have the cattle and bread. I've made my own clones. I use I use that well, circuit with, all the time. With something that's like vintage and like not being produced anymore. I don't I don't yeah like the same way that like you're not if you if you own a burst unless you're like Joe Bonamassa you're probably not gonna like gig with it like because there's a certain right. you have a responsibility to like protect the like historical sure. artifact. I agree. And you 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 see that in a a lot of collectible you know industries i think there's there's like a delineation that's totally valid between something that is like i mean 
let's be honest, like the H, the harmonic percolator, the original made by uh, some wonderful, you know, repairman in what's that? In yeah, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I mean, not a lot of them at all. Not a lot of them at all. So, I mean, that that really comes mm-hmm. down to like even Steve Albini, who I mean, his interview uh, was probably yeah. around three hours, and in that, yeah, I was, I was. Oh, I want to see all of. I was going to say yeah, we could make so an cool. hour long video that's just Albini talking about the. HP. Like we've got, <laughs> he showed us like a hundred. Can you just make me that video, please? Because, oh my god, that is that. I'm so obsessed well, with that pedal. Good news, we have been releasing a lot of pedal movie extras. I think there's three or four of them up um, on Reverb's channel. There's one with Nels Klein. There's one about uh, the a longer history yep. of music tronics. There's one about uh that's a little bit uh of a deep dive into like uh diversity um and inclusion there's a bunch of them and we have plans of putting out lots more and i think steve's interview definitely warrants being one of those oh that that makes me so unbelievably happy (laughs) um so as we kind of i feel like we're kind of reaching a natural end here one of the things i noticed in the film was that and i never really thought about this before and it was it was really great that you highlighted the way that uh this the recession that happened 2007 2008 kind of led to this massive growth in pedal sales and then you know i think it's fair to say that now we're kind of in a very similar situation in that we're seeing another sort of boom in in pedals uh sales because it's everyone staying home with pandemic that whole thing um you know this might be asking a lot but if you could read the tea leaves and all the trends that you saw happening throughout you know 80s going to refrigerators and then back and then all this sort of stuff like either of you both of you do, can do either of you have any idea what you think the next trend that we might see in the in the pedal or or guitar world might look like personally i think that it's going to be a lot more about um non-guitar instruments and just like facilitating uh effects for you know synthesizers and any number of things i think there's or harp right yeah like lara um David mm-hmm. Dave Nudson, I th- Dave Nudson somewhere in the film uh, says something about like, you know, these like pedals aren't only for guitarists, you know, all kinds of people utilize them in ways that basically like are furthering music. You look at Alessandro Cortini, what he does with like tape loops mm-hmm. and yeah. and effects, you, Laura Simoji uh, working with like Hans Zimmer with two pedal boards that are bigger than, you know, most guitar players pedal boards. Uh, all kinds of folks. And then, you know, that spawning, um, and then with guitar and with non-guitar instruments, that spawning ambient and, uh, and experimental music, and then that ambient and experimental music finding its way into pop music like Billie Eilish. So there's like all kinds of hybrid things where there's a need for effects to either be used for a different purpose than they traditionally have been, or for new effects to come out to serve a purpose uh, of new music similarly to how it has been it's kind of a s- cycle yeah, yeah and, that's so exciting and i would take it even a step further to say that i think on you know i could make all kinds of predictions about market trends and this and that but i really think on like the technical like actual tangible pedal level um it's going to be just this increasing collapse between like what is a pedal and what is a synthesizer and what is an instrument um you know mm. uh, the emperor zoya is a good example of that and there's lots of other ones where it's like this is a stomp box, sure, but it's really a synthesizer. And, you know, like go back to the 70s with Musitronics, Mike Beagle took the first few circuits that or that he made pedals out of for Mutron from a synthesizer project. And I That's think right. that combining that with this impulse of like instrument, the pedals are the instrument and you have a sound source and you are kind of just like playing the pedals. I think that's going to keep expanding. 
um, and perpetuated by, in a good way, you know, Instagram and YouTube culture where there's all these channels that kind of, that kind of inspire and lean into that. And, um, I think, I think there'll just be less separation and, and it'll all just be like, these are sound making tools that can do a lot of cool stuff. And there's going to be a really, a lot of cool music that comes out of that. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, Dave, I know, I know, um, I know we've covered a lot of stuff, man. You feel like I and could cover a million other things. Is there anything that you're just like, man, well, we got to talk about this before we go. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just stoked. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say, and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit talking about the different decades and everything, but I thought you guys did a really great job. Um, with editing, when when it when you would talk about a pedal, you would describe it, and then you would play a clip, a modern clip of somebody you know playing it. I thought the the way you guys mic'd it and the way um, it was all set up and the audio balance, I thought everything was really accurate. It felt really like that's truly what that what that pedal is supposed to sound like. Um, so I, I just thought, just kudos to you guys for you know um, I I know. Uh, you know, the audio and everything and just the editing was just... Oh, fantastic. we need to shout out our wonderful re-recording mixer who was just on your show, Colin Sipos, an old friend of mine. Colin Sipos, Shout out to Colin. Him. You guys have actually had... Absolutely. Love you, you handsome You guys have had so many, and, uh, so many of my friends on your show, actually. Mike Mamone, all kinds of people. Yes. Evan, Evan Thomas. Oh, we should, Weiss, Evan is himself. a producer we should on the shout out, uh, <laughs> We should shout out Joe and Alex also who played a bunch of the... Uh, yes. A bunch of the different clips. Yeah, and shout out Kristen Cho, who used to be my boss as well. Wow. So just like everybody I know made that movie. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a community, man. That's, it really is. Yeah, you know? that's right. So, um, you know, honest, obviously, thank you so much for joining us and being so thank open and honest and, and sharing uh, about the film. Uh, you know, both of you, either one of you, decide, um, give us a little plug. Tell us where people should go check out the stuff and, and do the thing. Take it away. Oh, the pedal movie is available now on iTunes, Vudu, and Google Play. If you if you have a particular brand allegiance to any of those, go for that one. And I'll also just shout out that it, once you're done watching the pedal movie, um, if you want more, there's a there's a playlist on the Reverb YouTube channel which has all the offshoot footage, and there's more to come there. And there's some really good stuff. We they we just released one that was about um, origins of twelve different pedal companies that aren't really touched on in the movie, but it's uh it's very overlapping. And if you're if you enjoy it, you'll enjoy that stuff too. That's beautiful. Yeah. And if, and if you're enjoying that kind of stuff, I can, I can attest there, there's some great content on the socials. So, you know, go check them out on Instagram and stuff too. Michael Lux, Daniel Orkin. Thank you so thank much. Thank you guys so thank much. Thank you. Yeah. Our pleasure. Uh, you so know, much. over overcoming international boundaries and, and pandemics and such. Uh, it was an honor to have you on. It's good. It was really, really turned out great. Thank you so Thanks, much. Guys. Thanks guys. And Hey, if you're listening this far folks, uh, go make some music. <laughs>